Well, good morning, IBC family. You know that, that video clip that we just watched, uh, it, asked, it asked a very important question that you and I and everyone must grapple with very seriously. The question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus as Scripture teaches? Who is Jesus as he describes himself? Who do you say Jesus is? You know, there's a growing majority in our culture today of people that know very little about Jesus. Uh, And what they do know is largely influenced by kind of a a secular, humanistic approach or perspective. And uh, many people that say they they know about Jesus or they, they might describe him as a good man. Some might even maybe go so far as to call him a prophet. But it would be far fetched for people to make the ultimate conclusion that Jesus is God, or Jesus is the Son of God. You know, this is what the religious leaders back in the time of Jesus were challenging. You might recall back in like Matthew chapter 21, for example, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they come up to Jesus and they ask him this question, on what authority do you do these things? Who, who gave you this authority? They challenge him. Really what they're really asking Jesus, what they're confronting him with is this, who do you think you are, Jesus? What makes you so special? Why should we listen to you? Now for the sake of kind of brief review of where we've come from so far, up until this point we see that Jesus has responded to many, many questions from every sect of Judaism And the results are really all the same, right? They come to him with challenging questions, seeking to trip him up, seeking to to trap him in some way, shape, or form. And the, the result is always the same. Jesus usually responds with another question or another statement that leaves everyone speechless. They don't know how to respond. But in our particular passage this morning, we see that Jesus kind of goes on the offensive for the first time. He, so, he really he confronts the religious leaders, specifically the scribes and the Pharisees, really with the ultimate point of establishing clearly his true identity, to clearly establish who he really is. The question that is posed for us, that was posed for them and that's posed for us today is this, is Jesus merely a man or is he so much more? Is Jesus only a man who walked this earth historically 2,000 years ago or is he so much more? Is he, is he also divine? Is he human as well as divine? This is an important question that all people have to grapple with. This is an important um, question that we all must come to grips with because how you come to terms with this question, how you answer this question is the difference between eternal life and eternal eternal death. It is foundational for our salvation. And so we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 22, starting in verses 41 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 46. And our dear sister, Jody Almond, she is going to read this passage for us. Good morning, IBC family. Greetings from the Almond family to your family at your home. Uh, our scripture reading today is Matthew 22, verses 41 to 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? 
For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I want to say thank you, Jody, for reading that passage for us. The, the point that we're going to really be driving home this morning, the take-home truth, if you forget everything else, is this. Because Jesus is both human and divine, this also means that he is both our Savior and our Lord. Because Jesus is both human and divine, he is also our Savior and our Lord. And we see that Jesus affirms what all Jews believed about the promised Messiah, that he would come from David's direct lineage. So there's no question in the minds of the Jews that the Messiah is the son of David. But the question for you and for me to grapple with is, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the son of David? Well, for the religious leaders, this meant, or they, it meant that they anticipated a political hero, a political savior, someone who would usher in a political uh, and social and civil reform during their, t- during their life. And the reason they had this expectation about the Messiah was because the way they read and interpreted the scriptures through kind of a rabbinical tradition. You see, their understanding of Scripture and their traditions caused them to anticipate a political hero, a hero who would deliver them uh, from the Roman oppression during that time. The Jewish, believe, the Jewish leaders at this time, they read and interpreted the Scriptures from a personal bias. Kind of a, this approach that would say something like this, this is what I want, so this is how I view Scripture approach. They expected a restored kingdom, but they did not expect a heavenly kingdom. Now, just a kind of a quick time out here. I believe it's, uh, we can all fall victim to reading and interpreting Scripture in the same way. We can all see and we can all hear what we want to see and hear. Just a few days ago, one of my daughters asked me this question, Dad, can I watch a show? And I said... No. And you know what she heard? Yes. And then when she was getting ready to put on a show, I said, what are you doing? She said, you said I could watch a show. And I said, no. I said, you could not watch a show. It was a simple one-word response. I said, no. And you heard yes. Why did she hear yes when I said no? Because that's what she wanted to hear. She wanted to watch a show. And even though I said no, what she heard was Yes, dad, in fact, wants me to watch a show, even though that's exactly the opposite of what I said. But I think in a similar way, in a parallel sense, we can read Scripture and we can interpret Scripture through a certain lens that resonates with what is important to us. We, We can view or approach Scripture in such a way that kind of better aligns with what we want. So, for example... If things like economic things are important to us, we can read Scripture through kind of an economic lens and we turn every Scripture into some sort of financial gain. Or, or we can read Scripture through a racial lens and if that's, you know, ethnic equality is important to us, then all of Scripture is viewed through that specific expose. 
If we, if, if kind of the feminist uh, approach to life is very important to us, then we might read scripture in that light and also condemn any form or uh, allusion to uh, patriarchal dominance. We, we can read lens through a postmodern uh, scripture through a postmodern lens, uh, where we can be asking questions like, "What do I want this to mean for me?" We could read it through a miracle lens. In other words, we see miracles from every page, and so we expect a daily miracles in our life because that's what we want. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. The problem is our biases, our kind of uh, preconditioned expectations can cause us to miss the intended message of Scripture. They can cause us to make unbiblical interpretations of Scripture. You see, this is where the religious leaders fell short. These religious leaders didn't understand, nor did they accept the identity of of God's Son, regardless of all the miracles they saw, because it did not fit their preconceived expectations. You see, their preconceived expectations made them blind to their own scriptures. For example, we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, Isaiah the prophet says, of the increase of his government, speaking of Jesus, of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Where we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, where the angel Gabriel tells the Virgin Mary that she will give birth to a son. And he goes on to say, he will be great and he will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You see that the religious leaders even though they knew the Scriptures probably better than anybody else, they missed some key points. They missed the identity of who the Messiah truly is because they viewed it through a preconceived expectation and it led them down a path that that basically caused them to miss the Messiah right in front of them. And so Jesus confronts them again, kind of on the offense. He confronts them with a question and he quotes from the most quoted psalm in the New Testament Uh, Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. This is where King David, who is inspired by the Spirit, according to Jesus, affirms the promised Messiah, that the promised Messiah would also be his Lord. Listen to what he says again. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. We see here that David clearly confirms that the son of David will also be David's Lord. That reference to the son of David, it refers to Jesus' humanity. But, that, that, but David himself also says he's not just a man who walked physically on this earth, but he's also my Lord. The Lord says to my Lord. In other words, literal translation, Yahweh says to my Adonai. That's really what David is saying here. God the Father is saying this is uh, to my Messiah, the Christ. So even King David, whom everyone acknowledges the greatest king in all of Israel, makes a clear declaration that the promised Messiah, that the promised heir to the throne would also be his Lord. It would also be 
his God. Remember that question that we posed at the very beginning of my sermon. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus' true identity? Well, it's interesting to note when you look at the text that even though Jesus asked them some specific questions, he, he doesn't answer it for them. And in fact, he leaves kind of the question open-ended for the purpose of their own personal reflection. But fortunately for you and for me today, and for many of the disciples and apostles, we, we get kind of a hindsight perspective, and we get to see Jesus' identity clearly on display, especially in what takes place in the next couple of days. We see it especially in his crucifixion, as well as his resurrection, Recall the scene that we will be getting to very shortly. Jesus himself is hanging on the cross. All kinds of things are happening. An earthquake earthquake breaks open. Tombs are opened up. I mean, can you imagine for a moment uh, just being there and people are walking out of their graves alive again. Lost loved ones, lost relatives are walking out. The centurion got it right when he says, truly, this man is the son of God. So we see very clearly, even in Jesus' crucifixion, even in his death, that he she proves that he is not just a mere man, but that he is also the Son of God. I think even more profound, and we see this in Scripture, that Jesus' identity is most clearly revealed by his resurrection. In fact, when you look at the, the response of his disciples after they realize that Jesus has risen from the dead, you remember, uh, the, you know, remember the ladies come back and they say, he's alive, the tomb is empty, and no one believes him until he finally walks right through the wall and he's in their presence. We see that the disciples go from a state of, of fear and hiding to a, a state of hope and boldness. Why such the drastic change? Because they knew their Savior was alive. He was no longer dead. It was temporary, but now Jesus is alive. Paul even references right from the very beginning of Romans chapter 1. Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is the king of run-on sentences. He has long, long, long sentences. But what he's getting at is this. Jesus Christ is not just a mere man, but he's also the Son of God. Yes, he was human, but he is also divine. Yes, he was a man, but he was also his deity. And because of that... There are clear implications for everyone. Once again, I ask this question. Who do you say Jesus is? We can see in this narrative scene who, what, the, what the Pharisees think, what the scribes think, maybe what the crowds potentially think, but who do you say Jesus is? As we saw in the video clip at the beginning of the sermon, there are many ideas about who Jesus is. But once again, I ask, who do you say he is? 
Because if you think of Jesus as just a, a guy who had some great ethical ideas, then perhaps you would follow some of his suggestions, but he would not necessarily be someone you would follow after wholeheartedly. If you think of Jesus as uh, just uh, maybe even as a prophet, but not God, then you might follow him to some, a stronger degree, but you will still not follow him fully. But if Jesus is as King David prophesies, both human and divine, then that means he is also both your Savior and your Lord. And the fact that Jesus is both Savior and our Lord has significant implications, as I said earlier, for each of us. What are those implications? What, what does it mean that Jesus is both Savior and Lord because he is both human and divine? Well, first and foremost, it means that he is the only way to salvation. Jesus is our only Savior. He's not one of many saviors. He's our only Savior. Peter, uh, Peter boldly proclaims this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Even Jesus himself, when he was encouraging his disciples before he must die in John 14, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is reconciled to God except through Jesus. So we see the one important implication is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's our only Savior. But secondly, because he is also our Lord, it means we must surrender our lives. Remember, David says this, the Lord said to my Lord, David himself is acknowledging that the Messiah is his Lord. And by definition, what it means to be Lord is that a Lord has absolute power and control over another. By definition, that's what Lord means. So if Jesus is our Lord, that means he has absolute power and control over our life. That's what it means to be Christian. To be a Christian is not just to be saved to heaven when we die in this life. To be a Christian means to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, when you look at your Bibles, sometimes we have, again, other traditions that get passed along, but then we have to ask the question, do our traditions are, there, are our traditions actually biblical? Like, you know, one thing we've thrown under the bus, uh, rightly so, is this idea of asking Jesus into our heart. Nowhere in Scripture will you see that uh, as a way to coming into saving grace, asking Jesus into your heart. It's not even biblical. I think another unbiblical uh, understanding that, that, that needs to be clarified is this, that when we come to faith in Christ, we are not just merely making a commitment to Jesus. Jesus never asked you to make a commitment to him. You never see those, that verbiage in Scripture because commitment means that you, in a sense, come to Jesus on your terms and you still have some degree of control. Yes, I may make a commitment, but it may be only a certain kind of commitment. It may be a partial commitment. It may be a commitment so long as I'm okay with the, the expectations or it meets my desires. But that's not what Jesus asks. He calls us to surrender. Surrender is, means you relinquish control to the one who is in control. It means... It means a total surrender of your thoughts 
and your desires, your ambitions, your goals, your entire life. It means that you give yourself wholly to God. Just this past couple of weeks, I've been, I, I, I know many of you are also going through the many prayers of the Bible, and I'll be honest with you, in all transparency, I'm actually behind the reading schedule because the way I'm approaching the prayers of the Bible is I'm reading many chapters before and after each prayer because I'm trying to understand the context in which the prayer is offered to God. And so I'm, I just finished, actually, Second Chronicles this morning. And uh, in the process, I've seen this theme repeated over and again, especially when Solomon, David's son, assumed the throne from King David. And we see that in, in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, that, that God tells David, I will bless Solomon if he wholeheartedly follows my commands. And then David, as father to his son, commissions Solomon and says, Solomon, you will be blessed. But he says this, you will be blessed if you follow God with your whole heart and a willing mind. And then God himself speaks to Solomon and says, if you follow me wholly, then I will bless you. You see, brothers and sisters, What it means that Jesus is Lord is that we surrender our life wholly. Not partially. We don't have a divided heart. There's no percentage here. It is a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. As Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Paul says elsewhere in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We see also that the reason why we surrender to the lordship of Christ is because our lives as a follower of Jesus are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Romans chapter 14. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Brothers and sisters, what it means to surrender to the Lordship of Christ is that you belong to God. That He has full right, full authority, full control over your life, over your ambitions, over your dreams, over your wants, over your desires, everything. It all belongs to Him. So who do you say Jesus is? Who is this Jesus? As I said in the beginning, how you answer this question is the difference between life and death. The difference between eternal life and eternal death. It's the difference between assurance of salvation and the fear of future judgment. You see, Peter got it right. You might recall from Matthew chapter 16, right? 
Again, Jesus is constantly bringing this theme to the forefront. He's saying, who do you say I am? Who do people say I am? And of course, the disciples are saying, well, some say you're Jeremiah the prophet or another prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're the John the Baptist resurrected. And then Jesus points to them and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it right, right? Peter gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter and all his disciples and says, you got it right, Peter. That's right. And on this confession, I will build my church. Yes, he, obviously it's the person of Peter that, God says, that Jesus says, I'm going to use you in a very prominent way to begin this whole church age. But it's upon this confession that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just a mere human, but he is the Son of God. And because he's the Son of God, he is both your Savior and your Lord. As I already read, but I will say it again in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The question I have for you, IBC family, that I would like for you to take a moment to reflect on is this. Have you wholly surrendered Jesus? Have you given your entire life to Christ? Is Jesus both your Savior and your Lord? Because here's the deal, here's the fact. He cannot be your Savior unless He is also your Lord. You can't have one without the other. For Jesus to be your Savior, He must also be your Lord. And that's why He came. He came to reconcile us to God. We have everything to gain by surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. We don't lose our life. We actually gain our life. But have you surrendered wholly to Jesus in this way. Father, as a response to that love that you have shown us, I pray that each and every one of us would surrender wholly to you, knowing we have everything to gain and nothing to lose. So Father, by your Spirit, grant us grace to surrender in those areas that we struggle, to, to fall on our knees in repentance in those areas that are strong in us, May we die to the flesh so we might be full of the Spirit and we might glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.